you are listening to EP Culture Beat, the underground source of El Paso, Texas. One of the worst movies of all time was made in El Paso in 1966, Manos, The Hands of Fate. It is hard to watch, but has become a cult classic. In this episode, we talk with one of the last surviving cast members. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Jackie Naaman Jones, and I played the child Debbie in the cult classic film Manos, The Hands of Fate. It was filmed in 1966 in El Paso, Texas. What's it like to have been in what is considered to be one of the worst movies ever made? Well, first of all, I say that I, I wasn't responsible because I was just a child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, the other, but the other thing is, uh, I mean, it's great because I'm an artist and it just suits me perfectly. And I honestly can't think of anybody else better, uh, better suited for this job, so to speak. You keep the legacy alive. I do. I mean, it started off in 1966. There was this guy, Hal Warren. He was in theater with my dad. My dad was pretty much, uh, he, he was like one of the rock stars of community theater back mm. in the 60s and early 70s. And he played a lot of lead characters. And he was playing the lead in uh, Henry the Fourth. And this other guy, Hal Warren, was also in it. And Hal had written a script for a film that he had hoped to make. And he looked around at the cast and crew and saw pretty much everybody he wanted and approached them to make his film. Well, these are all theater actors and they're all people aspiring to be more creative. And so they said yes, because he was quite the salesman. And... They got together out in the desert out near, uh, let's see, oh, out, I think it's out near Isleta, and did this film in like 10 days. And nobody knew, I mean, how Warren just uh, convinced everybody that he knew what he was doing, <laughs> but he did not. And nobody saw anything because it happened so quickly, and then the premiere happened in November, mm -hmm. and it was pretty much a shock to everybody that was trapped in the audience. <laughs> it was a flop, as you can imagine, and uh, the cast and crew pretty much uh, separated as though they pulled off the heist never to be spoken of again. But for me, as a child, it was like the best summer of my life with my dad, and so I held on to those memories, but but it disappeared. I mean, it was gone, gone, and I looked for it for 27 years. I didn't look for it for 27 years, but it was gone Yeah, for 27 years until it showed up on Mystery Science Theater one day in January 1995, I believe, or four, and my dad just happened to see it. My dad, by the way, played the master in the film. He was the lead character. How old were you when Manos the Hands of Fate was filmed? I was six, turning, I turned seven that summer. So your role was that of the daughter of the couple? Yes. Uh-huh. And, yeah, the poodle and the dog, or the poodle in the film belonged to Hal Warren. Mm -hmm. the, the dog that played the family pet. But yeah. the Doberman who played the master's dog was actually our family pet. So that was my dog. 
Cool. And my mother made the costumes. She made the master's robe and the wife's dresses. And my father, as an artist, made all the... He made the set. Mm -hmm. He made the painting of the master and dog, the cauldron, the fire, Torgo's staff. You know, all the hand sculpture was all my dad's work. He was a very talented artist. The film was titled... Monos, the Hands of Fate, because of because of that. It was originally titled Fingers of Fate. <laughs> <laughs> well, the design of that robe is um, it's become almost uh, iconic. Did any of that thought go into it? Or it's, or is, it was just like a costume that needed to be made at the moment. It needed to be made. I still remember my parents laying out the fabric and designing it. Um, I remember my mother designing and making the wife's dresses and adding that bit of red fabric that was supposed to be actually for modesty for the women. Didn't work, but <laughs> but yeah, that robe is definitely iconic. And my father never got his property back. He never got his painting back or the robe. The director took them home and his son actually still has them and mm-hmm. will never return them. But me, I'm an artist as well, and I do a lot of things. I, I produced the sequel to Monos, actually, which is much better than the original. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I do sewing, and I, I've recreated the robe. Um, I recreated Torgo's hand staff with a welding torch. Uh, you know, I've recreated a lot of my mm-hmm. dad's work. I've recreated the painting several times. Wow. What do you remember most from the making of Manos? What still sticks out the most? Actually, quite a lot. Because, like I said, you know, 27 years went by, so I held on to these memories tight. And my high school friends still remember me telling stories about it. But Mm -hmm. I remember John Reynolds, who played Torgo. I remember hanging out with him in front of the house. What was he like? He was fairly small stature. He wasn't a very tall man. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's probably about five foot six, five foot seven, maybe, maybe. But he was shy. He was a very intense person. Uh, what was he? Only 24. My dad and he were friends. Um, they kind of understood each other. They were very deep mm-hmm. type people in a time when men weren't supposed to have deep emotions. You know? Yeah. They were artists and poets, and they understood each other. My dad was older by, what, about six or seven years, I think. Mm. And um, he lived just down the street from us for a while. I remember going down there, uh, my dad trying to just get him to come over, you know, visit, Mm -hmm. to get out. But I think he was just... um, he had a lot of a lot of tragedy, a lot of deep sadness in mm-hmm. him. I mean, he killed himself just, uh, I mean, exactly one month before the premiere and one month after his 25th birthday. I remember um, the women, the wives, mm-hmm. uh, all sitting around talking in the evening. I remember that we kept our lunches in the refrigerator in the little kitchen there. It was like a little 
50s refrigerator and I just remember the camaraderie. I remember how exciting it was for a child to be up all night. You know, I take little naps, but most of the filming was during the night because mm-hmm. people had full-time jobs and such. So, I mean, nobody got paid for this, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was a a passion project. It was. And so I held on to all this and mm-hmm. I actually wrote a book a couple years ago and I'm very proud to say that that I'm uh, five stars on Amazon. Nice. And, and four <laughs> on Goodreads. But it's called Growing Up with Mono the Hands of Fate, How I Was the Child Star of the Worst Movie Ever and Lived to Tell the Story. And uh, so I did a lot of research on my book. You'd think that a, a six-year-old, seven-year-old isn't going to remember a lot, but I always say it like this if you think back on your life your best birthday or family vacation or those those moments crystallize you might not remember things around it or that year but you remember details about that and that's what Manos the Hands of Fate was for me and when I started researching and finding other people mm-hmm. to corroborate my stories, I was really amazed at how accurate my memories were, although from a child's standpoint. So what I'd like to do next, and not like to do, what I'm working on next is a script based on the stories in my book. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to uh, do a film on the making of Monos the Hands of Fate. And it's going to be pretty funny just adding more to the legacy of this little film which is pretty cool well you know El Paso is such a special place and I tell that in the book it's Mm -hmm. such a unique place and the 60s in El Paso was unlike any other place that I've ever read about or that I know about the geographic location the art and culture in El Paso has always been there it's a powerful thing. Um, yeah. It's been years since I've been there, but I, the last time I was there in 2011, mm-hmm. where when we did a screening at the El Paso Classic Film Festival, we did the restoration there. Great audience, by the way. But, uh, I mean, El Paso has this vibrancy of culture and art, and I want to get that across on the screen of what that was like in the 60s. I mean, there was, like, the the University of Texas, their film, I mean, their their theater department is very strong, and then the Festival Theater, which is now, I think, the El Paso Playhouse, and then there was the Upstairs Theater downtown. How long did you live in El Paso? Uh, We moved there. I was born in Fort Worth. We moved there when I was four, and I left... When I was 13, my parents divorced and my dad moved to California and I followed him. Any memories that stick out from your time in El Paso besides uh, filming Manos? Oh, yeah. We lived at the top of North Cotton Street and right up snug against the mountain. So as a kid, I was, um, my parents were very bohemian. And and we were the only white people in the whole neighborhood. My dad, my dad was uh, director of the South El Paso Boys Club, and my mother was a teacher at Ben Milam School out at Fort Bliss. Mm-hmm. 
so I alternated between having some local friends and being pretty lonely because my family was so different. Mm-hmm. We had we had theater music, we had thunderous music coming out the windows, and my dad's art and sculpture. We were just different, yeah. you know. <laughs> different so is good. I spent a lot of time on that mountain. I loved to. I could just go straight out the backyard mm-hmm. and climb up that mountain to scenic drive. And those are some of my my sweetest memories: is just hanging out on that mountain and uh, exploring. Well, I've got to find a way to get back there. I want to do a screening of uh, Manos Hands of Fate. I'd like to do it with the restoration, and I mm-hmm. would do commentary, because the restoration is unlike the Mystery Science Theater version in that it's clearer mm-hmm. and a, a larger frame. So you see things you could never see in the Mystery Science Theater version, like my dad when he holds up the robe, you can see his jeans rolled up underneath the robe. (laughs) Or like when he's holding up Torgo's hand on fire, if you look below him, uh, behind him, you can see the can of lighter fluid on the base of one of the columns. A lot of movies nowadays don't have uh, the man-made charm as much. Yeah, it's a terrible movie, but boy, they sure tried hard. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's cool. You know, that's I think that's what's kept it afloat. That's what's given it legs. You know, and I just love so much that. Um, well, for one thing, I've met a lot of people who learned about monos, younger people mm-hmm. who learned about it at film school. It's taught in many film schools as everything not to do in filmmaking, <laughs> and it inspires people. I love that it's in public domain. It mm-hmm. never would have seen the light of day ever if it wasn't in public domain. Mm-hmm. And it has inspired things, everything from puppet theater, Monos, the Hands of Felt, to now <laughs> um, where there's some people working on funding for a comic series, comic book, and web series. Cool. About me, and I get to star in it. It's called Monos the Debbie Chronicles, and it's my character 50 years later uh, getting retribution on the evil that was done to her family. <laughs> wow. And, uh, oh, uh, two coloring books. <laughs> There's, uh, oh, video games. There's a couple of different video games. What else? There's so many things. Yeah. There was a play in Portland on stage, a comedy several years ago that I got to be part of. Did you appear in any other movies after Manos? Well, here's a funny thing. So my I moved my parents divorced, my dad moved to Southern California and I followed him when mm-hmm. I went to high school. And I joined I had a very good theater department in my high school. My theater teacher invited the class one day to come in on a Saturday to be extras in a classroom scene for a film for a friend of his. So we did. Well, that film came out, and it's worse than Monos. It's way worse. And the crazy (laughs) thing is, it has been done by Riff Tracks. So I've been in one movie that Mystery Science Theater did, and the other one, (laughs) Riff Tracks. And that movie's called The Curse of Bigfoot. Wow. 
So I've been in two really horrid movies. <laughs> but then, since then, um, I've had the opportunity to be in some independent film for different people, friends of mine, mm -hmm. and or people, I should say, who become friends of mine. And then three years ago... Um, we got a group together and did a Kickstarter and raised $28,000, I believe it was, on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And we did the film Monos Returns. So we did a sequel to Monos, and we set out to make the best possible film we could independently cool. and very inexpensively. But our goal was to honor the Mystery Science Theater fans and to honor the original cast and crew. So my dad, who was still living, he died two years ago, but he was still living, mm -hmm. and uh, we filmed him. So he gets to be the master again. And that's another reason that I created Monos Returns personally was I did it mostly for him mm -hmm. because he had never had the opportunity to um, engage fans directly. Mm -hmm. And... He would just, I could tell him stories about things, and I would, and then I'd go back to the fans and go, the master approves, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he loved that, but he didn't, I'd tell him stories and tons, show him things, but he wasn't online. And um, so doing that was really great. In fact, I'm hoping we did get a little film of him coming to our cast and crew party. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face when he walked up and he saw everybody and the cameras and the smiles was like he couldn't have been happier if he was walking a red carpet in Hollywood. You know, to me, I'm so grateful we got that on film because that's one of my favorite memories, you know. And seeing him just owning it when he was in costume and giving him that opportunity you know again mm -hmm. one more one last time and giving him the opportunity to see what the legacy of Mono's created and that was really special awesome and the sheriff has passed away but his son plays our sheriff and the woman who played my mother in the original mm -hmm. is my mother again and Whoa. what else oh in the original film most of the women were either not credited or miscredited because you know it's 1966 and women weren't that important anyway they were just six <laughs> wives what the hell you know yeah so so in researching my book i not only found out who these women were and have contacted most of them mm -hmm. but i found the woman who did the vocals on the soundtrack and it turns out, as horrible as the movie is, the soundtrack is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And she has been a jazz singer for over 50 years, like more like 60 years. So we got her to recreate her music for our film. Nice. So we really did everything we could to honor people. And we've shown it at a few places. We, we premiered it at Crypticon Seattle. Mm-hmm this year in May and uh, we've got a couple screenings that we're planning around the country and we've done a few screenings and so far the audience has been really supportive so we're looking for a distributor now what's this one about? Uh, this is Monos the Valley Lodge 
50 years later. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, this time there's a group of four people, four friends, that are going on vacation and they take a wrong turn and they end up at this this otherworldly place mm -hmm. and they're still wives, but the wives are more like relics from the past. I mean, they're young, they're not like, you know, old, but they're like in suspended time almost. Time mm -hmm. just is different at this place. But this time, Debbie, me, 50 years later, I've been raised by the Valley Lodge and because my mom and I got trapped there in the last movie. Yeah. So I'm now in charge of the place and I'm not very pleasant. <laughs> um, if you can imagine a child being raised <laughs> right. by that group. And my mother, who is played by the original Maggie, Margaret, is pretty, she's kind of demented. She's like crazy. But she's crafty as well. She's learned a few things. I'm very proud of it. Like I said, it's low budget, mm -hmm. but um, we just, I think we did a really great job for what we had and so many people brought so much to the table that it makes it bigger than it than it would have been just based on money, you know. Did Manos' appearance on Mystery Science Theater was that the thing that ignited interest or had there always been interest? Nobody knew anything. So here's what happened. Wow. January, ah, I can't remember the date. I think it was January 24th, 1995. My dad calls me up. I'm married. I have a child. My my oldest child is, at that time was like a baby. Mm -hmm. And my dad calls me up. He's living on the Oregon coast. He'll, he says, you'll never believe what I just saw on TV. <laughs> well, he was a Mystery Science Theater fan, so he's like taking a nap and kind of watching MST on a rainy January day, you know, on the coast yeah. of Oregon. He's living on the coast of Oregon. So he's taking a nap, dozing off, and he hears some familiar music. He opens his eyes and sees himself on the screen. Wow. And he's just fascinated, so he watches it. Then he calls me and says this. So I turn on the TV because I knew it was on Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. And I knew there was an 800 number in the bottom corner of the screen because I always watch the station, you know. So I called the number. I mean, you have to know, this is a Sunday afternoon, you know, and now I'm calling the East Coast, which I didn't know at that time. And so I call the 800 number, and this guy answers the phone, and he says his name is Matthew, and that he's in the HBO offices in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I tell him, I said, you just showed a movie that I've been looking for for most of my life. My whole family was part of it. It disappeared. And you just showed it. Is there any way I can get a copy? Wow. And you have to know, this is back on VHS days. Yeah. Right? Not even, I mean, this is VHS. And he says, what was the name of it? So I tell him. The line, to me, mm -hmm. it sounds like the line goes dead. <laughs> like, I didn't know if he hung up on me <laughs> or if we got a bad connection, but I'm, like, shaking because I've been looking for it my whole life, you know, and I'm yeah. just, I'm shaking. And all of a sudden he comes back and he goes, oh my God, 
Are you Debbie? <laughs> Which wow. was the character's name. And I was shocked, you know. So we talked for a few minutes, and he says, I just had it on my desk the other day, and that's our favorite bad movie here in the HBO offices. You have to know, I, I didn't have a clue that anybody had ever even heard of it mm-hmm. for 27 years and here's this guy telling me all this stuff it was weird <laughs> so he mails me a copy and I get it about a week later with a nice note mm-hmm. and I watched it by myself because who's going to want to watch this thing with me you know so I watched it alone and then I just put it away and I was happy and I thought that was the end of it mm-hmm. and then a few years go by and, um, you know, the internet dial-up happens. Yeah. And I get a computer, and I don't know, little by little, I start seeing chat rooms, and I start seeing it pop up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there's all these weird stories about people dying, and all the cast and crew have mysteriously disappeared. And, you know, so I start chiming in saying... <laughs> We're not dead. Here I am. <laughs> and and correcting the stories. That was my whole goal, was just to clean up the stories, because there was so much, um, I call it monosmythology. And now I get to go to conventions as a special guest. And yeah. Last month, I got to host a burlesque, an MST-themed burlesque show in Portland, Oregon. Cool. To do some really fun stuff because of the. It's like this movie has had many different lives. Yes. Where can people watch Manos, The Hands of Fate nowadays? You can see it on YouTube mm-hmm. for free. Um, that's the, um, the Mystery Science Theater version. Cool. So I would suggest for people, if it's their first time, watch the Mystery Science Theater version because. It really is bad. I mean, yeah. there's a it's a badge of honor if uh, there's a lot of people that just cannot get through it. What was it like presenting the film at the El Paso Plaza Classic Film Festival in 2011? Yeah, that was uh, the restoration. Yeah. The, the first screening of the restoration, and that, to me, was a whole different experience. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that restoration's been turned into a Blu-ray, right? Yes, it has, with lots of extras. Uh, in fact, my dad was still living when all that was happening. So nice. there's extras with interviews with him, uh, with me. And then there's an extra that I love so much. It's where my dad and I actually sit down and watch Monos and talk about it. Cool. For the first time since the premiere in 1966. My favorite part in that whole thing is where he's, we're watching it and he says something like, oh, Lord, this is terrible. <laughs> and I go, well, yeah, Dad, it is known as the worst movie ever made. And he goes, no, no, this is awful. Is the film still going through copyright issues? And do you have any say in that? I have no say. Um, the son of Hal Warren... He's the same one that has the robe and the painting. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's just never understood how to play well with others. You know, he's been given many opportunities to be part of this. 
but he has this attitude that he should own everything and control everything and mm-hmm. I don't know why he feels threatened but so he was trying to get the copyright for Manos Hands of Faith and I opposed that and raised some money to try and battle that but we were not able to raise enough money in the end anyway the last thing I seen was um his copyright did not go through it mm-hmm. was denied so he may try again but at this point it doesn't matter what can he do he seems to think that people are making money on it and he's missing out nobody is making money on this I mean I'm not making a living at this I, I you know if you follow me and you see all the things that I'm doing mm-hmm. I'm my book, uh, you know, I make a little bit on that. I make a, I, I mean, I'm just not. I do a lot of work. I do it for the love of mono. Although, I do want to at least get this in here that I'm working on my YouTube channel right now. Cool. And it's my name, Jackie, J-A-C-K-E-Y, Naaman, N-E-Y-M-A-N, Jones. Jackie Naaman Jones. And there's going to be a lot of uh, different things to that, different channels within that. A lot of mono stuff. And then my art, because I, like I said, I'm a professional artist. So there'll be my art. I'll be doing tutorials and just a whole lot of different things. I'll be selling some of the robes. I, like I said, I've made robes. And uh, I don't do it very often. It's so mm-hmm. much work. So I just offer it occasionally. And then I'll make a few and go, oh, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and then six months later, I'll offer them again. So <laughs> my YouTube channel is going to be the place where I can just kind of show people everything I do. Because if they had ADD, if they called you ADD back when I was in school, that'd be me. I'm just <laughs> all over the map. So, touching on your book a little bit, is it true that the movie was made um, because of a bet? Yep, I got a whole chapter on that. Yeah, with uh, Sterling Siliphant, who was the screenwriter for In the Heat of the Night. Mm -hmm. And at that time, he was the screenwriter. He was working on Route 66. That's what it was, Mm -hmm. the show Route 66. Sterling Siliphant was working on that, and that's where he met... Hal Warren, or that's where Hal Warren met him and made this bet about, you know, anybody can make a movie, I can make a movie, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But also, um, even without my book, I've been writing a blog for several years, Mm -hmm. and that's uh, Jackie's, I'm sorry, that's Debbie's Monos on Blogspot. What else is keeping you busy? Oh my gosh, well doing my art, my own art, teaching classes, my podcast, Jackie's Hand of Horror on SoundCloud. Is that podcast all about horror movies? Uh, No, it's just about a lot of different things, like um, I do it every two weeks, or I try to, Mm -hmm. boy, I got so much going on. But, um, <laughs> like, I did an episode on spiders. I've done an episode on Women in Horror Month, on puppets, uh, all kinds of things. Just, um, oh, um, 
Oh, zombie animals. That was a fun one. All kinds of things. I believe I just, I think I'm on my 12th episode now. So we're starting to get the hang of it. Why do you think the legacy of Manos the Hands of Fate has endured? Wow. You know, I don't know. I really don't. I think the costumes have a lot to do with it. You know, I don't think it could have endured if it didn't have those visuals. Mm-hmm. Like the Torgo character and the Master for two. But, you know, I have listened to people. I've talked to people. And even though I might be a little closer to the understanding of what the love of it is about, mm-hmm. I think it's more, gosh, sometimes like meeting people at cons, the kinds of people I meet, I think it's more that this film shows you that that no matter what, with something done with earnestness and love like this, that you never know. You just never know mm-hmm. when something can endure. I don't know. Yeah. I, I Honestly, I have worked on this for years. I just don't know. Wow. Anybody that tries to do it on purpose will fail. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and you know, I'll leave you with this. This is this is this is my mantra. This is what I say is that if you can't be the best, make the most of being part of the worst. That's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher Radio. Be excellent to each other and party on.